You know, sometimes things um, looks like it's going to be really bad, but it ends up being good. Sometimes things look really good, they end up being bad, too. <laughs> but I remember many years ago, after Hurricane Katrina hit, we decided that it would be a good thing to do whatever we could. So we made an announcement at church and um, put together a, sort of a bunch of stuff that we could bring over there. We found out things that they were in need of, and we got a trailer and packed it full of a bunch of stuff. And, uh, and then somebody, a kind-hearted soul, um, offered their motorhome to us that was like, I don't know, 1960-something school bus <laughs> renovated. Uh, and uh, we didn't have much money in those days. I don't know that we have much money now. <laughs> we had less then. But, uh, uh, and so, uh, Daniel Gonzalez, over there, I see him looking at me. He's gone, are you really going to tell this story? Yes. So he and I got into that and we began this trek all the way from Boise, Idaho to uh, New Orleans. And what was interesting about it is that uh, this thing broke down like two or three times on the way. And, uh, and, and the one time that was most memorable to me was, was on a turnpike in St. Louis at about 4 a.m. And it was, <laughs> it was Daniel and I in there, and uh, I just knew that a Mack truck was going to come around the corner at any moment, because we were off to the shoulder, you know, and I just knew that, you know, we were all, both Daniel and I were going to go be with the Lord sometime that day <laughs> as we waited for a tow truck to show up, and uh, well, we obviously didn't go be with the Lord, but um, it, uh, it took a couple of days. It took a couple of days longer than we had thought. We finally did get there, though. And what seemed to me to be just a, a, a comedy of errors in one sense, when we got there, we realized that, you know, the talk had kind of gone before us of what we had suffered, these crazy Christians from Boise, Idaho, coming cross country to, to help. And, uh, but what it did do is our suffering ended up uh, causing us to be endeared by them, you see. They, they realized that, wow, you guys really did this for us? And it opened the door up to, as Carl was talking about here, just organic, natural conversations of just sharing why the Lord touched our hearts, why we were there, and how we wanted to just bring uh, encouragement and help. And one of the funny things about it is we had gone there thinking that, you know, we had packed like tents and sleeping bags and, and all this stuff, thinking that we were going to be, uh, you know, making camp in one of the sort of, you know, uh, improvised tent areas that they had set up. Um, but what happened was that the organization that we were working with actually had as their base um, the uh, Royal Omni Hotel in the French Quarter of New Orleans, a five-star hotel and <laughs> that's where we ended up staying the whole time. <laughs> so, uh, and we were like doing meals for the um, uh, small business SBA uh, association, you know, uh, workers and FEMA workers, as well as just local people that were there. 
um, because it was one of the few places that was still standing, and, uh, and we could, you know, do meals from there. But anyway, the whole point of it is, is that at the time, it all looked extremely dismal. <laughs> but God ended up bringing out a lot of good from it. And I think that that's, that story has sort of stuck with me because there are many times we go through things like that in life where circumstantially, it's looking pretty bad. And, and it's just like, you know, can God make anything good out of this? And, um, and the, of course, the answer is yes, he can. Uh, and the other answer is that when we belong to Jesus Christ, when we've surrendered our lives to Christ and asked him to be our Lord, then he makes a covenant with us in that he's going to work all things together for good, amen, in our life. may not seem like it at the time. It may involve much suffering and much heartache. And we may not understand why, like Job did not understand why. But we do know that God loves us, and we do know that he has this ability to take things that seem bad to us and turn them for good. And that's really what we see here with Paul, who was a prisoner of Jesus Christ in Rome under house arrest, chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. Um, And yet he wrote this letter to this church in Philippi that he loved, that had been very helpful to him, had supported him in his ministry, had even sent um, Epaphroditus to bring forth a, a gift. And, uh, and so Paul, you know, writing this letter of Philippians, we're going to pick it up today in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And he said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray, Lord, for each person here today, Lord, that you would meet us where we are at, that you would reveal to us that you are king and Lord and sovereign, and Lord, that you desire to take up residence In each of our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would open wide the door. Even as you said, Jesus, that you stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears your voice and will open the door, you will come in and eat with them. And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone yet who has not opened the door to you, Jesus, that today would be the invitation day in their life. We thank you in your name. Amen. Well, Paul, you know, he had the pastoral heart. And he knew that these guys were worried about him. He was there in prison, you know, and, and, uh, and they were expressing much concern. And he, and, he, and he just wanted to comfort them, you know. And he said, I, don't, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. In other words, it's not bad news. It's good news. Because God is working. He's actually bringing the gospel to more people as a result of Paul being in prison. And and, and so, you know, what he said was, he said that it was uh, bringing the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel was being preached. 
better than it would have been had he not been there. Because, of course, think about this. Paul was chained to a Roman guard. Now, understand, these guys, they had a six-hour shift. Okay? Six hours of being chained. You, you, think, you think Carl would like being in your face about the gospel? Let me tell you. <laughs> Paul? I mean... Imagine, imagine you just got through with a drinking binge, okay? You got to come over to your, uh, your, your shift with the Apostle Paul, and he starts laying on you just about the good news of Jesus Christ, how God died, Christ died for you, and he wants to set you free from your sins, you know? And it's just like, oh my gosh, you know? Uh, I think what would happen is either you would get saved as a Roman soldier, or you would beg your commanding officer for a new assignment. I mean, you know... Seriously. So as a result of this, what was happening was many Roman soldiers were getting saved. In fact, not only were they getting saved, but the people in Caesar's household, we'll see later at the end of the letter, he says, hey, the, the, the saints in Caesar's household send their greetings. His gospel through Paul and through the others that were allowed to come and visit him because he was under house arrest so he could have visitors and he was able to teach them and they were then going out and sharing the stories about Jesus, the stories about how Paul got there, about his conversion and on and on and on. And so things were happening and Paul wanted the Philippians to know, hey, don't pity me, man. (laughs) Things are going great. You know, don't worry about me. God is promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ as the result of my chains. And that was so cool. Now, what happened was, he says, okay, so what's going on here is that it's become evident to the whole palace guard, okay, that would be the Roman soldiers, and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. That they were understanding that he wasn't there like the typical Roman prisoner, he, was, he hadn't done anything wrong. The only thing that he had done was preach the gospel. And so they realized two things. Number one, that, that you know, it, he really didn't have a, a legitimate reason to be there as far as, you know, a charge. But the other thing was that he was there by the will of Christ. They could see that this was for a good reason that he was there, that God was using it for a good purpose. And so... Um, so he said that, and, and then he said, most of the brethren in the Lord, ha- having become confident in, by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know, what, what, what they were seeing is, is that here, the, the, the hammer of Rome, you know, had come upon the apostle Paul, and yet it couldn't stop him. <laughs> You know, he, he, he was still, his chains couldn't stop the gospel from having an effect. So what, that hap- what happened as a result is that the people, other believers, began to get more bold. You see, that happens when somebody stands up against the pressure, against the thing that everybody's afraid of, and just stands up for what they believe in and is courageous and it encourages other people and this is what was happening not only that but because Paul would then sort of be the talk of the town you know think about it all these Roman polytheistic soldiers 
are getting saved, they're converted, and, and then the people in Caesar's household, so it, it was creating a buzz. And so somebody else, a Christian, would hear them talking about this guy named Paul who was in prison, and they say, yeah, I know about that guy. Let me tell you how he got there. And so they would be get, getting more bold, and these were all opportunities now for them to ultimately bring glory to Jesus Christ, you see. So Paul is saying, look, it's, it's great because it's emboldening, emboldening the, the, the believers to, to speak up and to share about Jesus. So he said, now, most of the believers had become now more confident speaking the word without fear. That's what we need, folks. Listen, we need to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And you know, we, we prayed for this, we, we sung this song about the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus said that that's the promise of the Father. That's why he said to wait until you are endued with power by the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. You know, there's power from the Holy Spirit if we just ask. And give me opportunities, Lord. Help me open my mouth. Help me speak up for you. Help me share just my story or your love, or help me just even just pray with somebody. But, but this thing of courage, you know, God wants us to have courage in sharing our faith. Amen? And so, uh, and so he was, Paul was excited about that because he saw those things happening. Verse 15, now some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So lots of preaching of Christ was going on, but Paul said, okay, it's not all from pure motives. Now Paul had a lot of enemies, right? We know that uh, one of those sets of enemies was the Judaizers, which would come in after Paul had preached the gospel to Gentiles, and, and they would want to load upon the Gentiles uh, the laws of Moses, circumcision. And, and Paul was an advocate for the grace of Jesus Christ, you know, for these Gentiles to believe in Jesus Christ and they would be saved. And then God would begin to change them from the inside out. But, but these Judaizers would come and want to bring them back under all of the laws of Moses. And, you know, Galatians was, was Paul's, like, getting in those guys' face sort of letter, right? Because of what uh, they were done. So he, those were, that's one set of enemies Paul had. Uh, but, but what Paul was saying is, look, there are some who are preaching Christ, but it's from envy and strife. They're envious about my ministry. They're envious about the fact that the Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. And now they see this as their opportunity to win people to themselves, you know, sort of take advantage of Paul's situation or, or even discredit him. Well, you know, he's in prison because he's not blessed of God, you know, that sort of thing. And so, but, you know, but Paul, but, but then he said that there's other people that they're, they're preaching Christ out of, out of good motives. In other words, they are doing it out of love, love for God, love for gospel, love for me, recognizing that, that God has appointed me to be 
uh, a defender of the, the gospel, of the word of God, uh, and they recognize that I'm here by the will of Christ, you know, and, and they're preaching Christ out of good motives. But either thing can happen. So what would you do about that? You see, you, you know, it would be really easy if you know that there are people that are envious that are just trying to discredit you, that are doing things just to try to harm you or hurt you in some way, uh, speaking evil of you, you know, it's really easy to let that just gnaw at you. Right? I mean, it'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your peace. You're, I can't believe those guys. You know, and, and that could have happened to Paul. But it was a choice not to. It was a choice that, you know what? Whether they are preaching out of impure motives or pure motives. God's going to be the judge. God will take care of it. But Christ is being preached. The name of Jesus is being exalted. And for that, I rejoice. See, that was a choice that he made. Now, this isn't, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, we just are like Pollyanna, right? Okay. That, you know, every single bad thing we're, oh, well, that's good. You know, well, maybe no, it's not good. You know, it's like, but, but in this case, when you know that God is in control, even though something, it seems like evil is having a heyday, it seems like people are getting away with stuff, and there's a part of you that just wants, I'm going to get involved in that, you know, it's like, just hold, hold, you know, cool your jets, that's a theological term. <laughs> Wait on the Lord, pray, and maybe, who knows, maybe God is going to handle this in a far better way than you had ever thought. Or maybe God is using it. You know, think about how disturbed the Jews were when Moses first shows up and starts doing things with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh just makes it even harder on those guys. Takes away their straw, tells them you got to still make bricks, you know, uh, the same quota as before. You know, they, and they go, why did you do this, Moses? Why have you brought this on us? You know, and over and over, poor Moses had to like deal with this all the time, right? You know, you just brought us out here to kill us, Moses, you know? And it was always looking like that for those guys. But, but in fact, God was working out his plan to deliver them. And we need to sometimes just take a step back and just say, you know what, I'm not going to let whatever those people are doing, those people, they, whoever they are, uh, I'm not going to let that rob me of my peace or my joy or my trust in the Lord. Amen? And that's what Paul did. So he chose to just look at it that way. Um, so then he said, verse 18, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. See, this is the amazing thing. Sometimes we look at people that really are charlatans in the ministry. I mean, they're, rather than feeding the flock, they're fleecing the flock, okay? And, and, and a lot of their doctrine is not good. It's not sound. And yet people will come to their meetings. They'll get saved. They'll get healed. And, we, and it's, that's an enigma for us. You know, how in the world can that happen? Well, it's because Jesus honors his word. God honors his word. God honors the faith that people have in Jesus regardless of the situation that they are in. Listen, I think we're going to see people in heaven from all kinds of different churches that we wouldn't normally say they've got it right. 
because the people are believing in Jesus Christ. You see? And even though the person up there may not even be right, that person might, the preacher might not be saved, but God honors the preaching of the the gospel of Jesus Christ or even just the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that whoever calls upon his name shall be saved. So, you know, who knows? But Paul is just saying, look, whatever the motives are, God's going to deal with that. But I'm thankful that Christ is being preached and there's power in his name and there's power in the gospel. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so also now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So, Paul just I don't know what you want to call it, an inkling, a hunch, a premonition, faith, that he thought, you know what? Somehow this is all going to work out for my deliverance. Now, part of the thing was, you know, when he finally got to Rome and, uh, you know, he called for the local Jewish, you know, representation (laughs) to, to just say, look, this is why I'm here and this is the gospel I've been preaching. And because the reason he got to Rome is because the Jews had made such a stink back in Jerusalem. And then in Caesarea, they showed up and just levied all of these accusations against him, which were unfounded. So when he got to Rome, you know, he appealed to Caesar. He was a citizen of Rome. He could do that. When he got to Rome, you know, he met with them and just said, hey, have you heard anything about me? You know, and then they, no, we haven't heard anything. So there really was not... Uh, the same kind of case against him, the same sort of accusations that had been in Jerusalem and in Caesarea. And so, he, you know, he was kind of thinking that when he finally got his trial before Caesar, Nero, that um, he would be delivered. That was his faith. And, uh, but he said, I know this will turn out for my deliverance, through my, you know, my deliverance, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And I think that this is so important. I think that many times it is easy for us to just sort of like coast spiritually in a sense. Uh, we think, oh, it's all going to work out. We're good. And everything's fine. Um, and we, we sort of slack off on the prayer. And that's not wise because <laughs> the devil is real. And the devil has all kinds of tactics uh, to mess, mess with things. And sometimes, you know, we have to be careful not to become complacent or overconfident. And so what Paul was doing, he says, look, I, I believe this is going to happen, but it's going to happen because of your prayers and because of the supply of the Spirit. And so Paul was never too proud to say to his people, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. 
And that is the power of any ministry, by the way. We were talking about this morning, you know, Charles Spurgeon. You know, uh, he, he'd be, he had been interviewed, you know, what is the secret to your success in ministry? And, he, and his, his line was always, you know, will my people pray for me? And, and he had people during the service downstairs in what was called the boiler room, always praying over the service every time there was a service. Because he recognized that even though God had given him a great gift, he needed prayer. He needed the prayers of his people. He needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said, yeah, I believe I'm going to be delivered here from this, but it's going to happen through your prayers. It's going to happen through the Spirit of God. So pray for me. And then he said, "Um, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. So one thing he just knew is that, look, I know I'm not going to be ashamed. And that's something that, it's, that's a promise to us. That whoever trusts in the Lord will not be put to shame. You know, we might go through some crazy stuff, but in the end, we're going to be standing. (laughs) We're not going to, if you're trusting the Lord, you're you're trusting in his word, you're doing what he's commanded you, you are not going to be put to shame. You know, and, and, and so he knew that. I, I, I'm going to stand before Nero, and I know God's going to be there with me, and I, and I know because he will be there with me, I've done nothing wrong, my conscience is clear, and it's going to work out. I won't be put to shame. And that's just something to just, because we all get plagued with fears, don't we? Especially in an unknown situation. You know, we're, we're going downtown, like uh, Justin mentioned, uh, after the source, we've been just going downtown and, and just, you know, we were handing out water bottles to skaters. Actually, this Friday, we're going to hand out flyers to the Extreme Tour because it's all about for skaters. It's great outreach for skaters. So we're going to go down there, hand out water bottles, invite the skaters, go to Rhodes Park, and all that sort of stuff. But I'll tell you one thing. Every single time I ever go downtown to do something like that, I'm always sort of scared. I just get all like, you know, I, I, I would much rather holler in front of all of you <laughs> than have like one talk with a stranger that I'm just like, uh, you know, I feel like I'm all thumbs. I feel like a guy on his first date, you know. And, 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 and it's, it's, that's, that's not uncommon. And, and you can't let that hold you back or you can't let that make you think that, oh, well, I guess I'm just not gifted. No, 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 no. Everybody faces that. You just, you just push through it anyway. And you find out that as you do, God is faithful and it ends up being a blessing, you know. And, but, but you always have to kind of come up against that sort of fear. And, uh, and Paul had just learned over time that God was faithful and it gave him courage no matter what it was that he was facing. And so he knew, you know, it's going to work out. And so he could with all boldness, as always... As he always had, so now also Christ will be magnified, he said, in my body, whether by life or death. Now, the one thing he didn't ultimately know, I mean, he thought that he probably would be delivered, but he didn't know that for sure. And it, and it could have gone south, you know. <laughs> it, it could have been that he would have been executed. And, and, and yet he didn't know. But the one thing that he did know was that 
He was going to glorify the Lord through his body, whether he lived or whether he died. It was ultimately in God's hand. He knew that. But either way, God's going to get the glory and I'm going to be okay. See? Listen, when you have that mindset, when you realize that God is sovereign, that you are in his hands, that he is going to be glorified through you no matter what, there's nothing that can hurt you. (laughs) There's nothing that can ultimately frighten you. It's like, what's the worst thing? It's like Charles Spurgeon said. What's, you know, if you consider that the very worst thing that could happen to you would be that what? You would die. Well, that would be the best thing that could happen to you because you'd be in the presence of the Lord. So when you have that mindset, it's okay, bring it on, little man. You know what I mean? You can't can't hurt me because I'm God's. And listen, folks, understand that if you trust Christ, you're walking with him, you're invincible until Jesus is done with you. And when he's done with you, come on, let's go to be with Jesus. Amen? He's gone to prepare a place for us. So you don't need to be afraid. The devil wants you to be afraid. But God told, or, you know, Paul told Timothy, God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So, you know, he, he practiced what he preached. He believed this. God was going to be glorified one way or the other, life or death. And, uh, and he knew that he wouldn't um, be ashamed in any of that. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is for far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. I love this phrase, for to me to live is Christ. That's the word of a man who is sold out to Jesus. I am living for Christ. Now, this doesn't just mean that I'm living for him because I got to obey him and, you know, he's my Lord and I better do what he says. No, no, no. This is the essence of what Paul makes Paul tick. The essence of what gets him out of bed in the morning. It's like, you know, if you have a bad job that you don't like, you go and you watch the clock. Uh, If you like to go do uh, a hobby, if you like to go, say, fishing or snowmobiling or four-wheeling or you name it, the thing that you love to do on the weekends, you know, the the time, the hours pass by minute, like by minutes, like, or by uh, feeling like seconds going by. Because why? Because you're alive when you're doing that. You love to do it, you see. And that's what Paul is saying here. My life is in Christ. He gives me life. He, he's who my li- I live for. And to live is Christ for me. It, it's all about him. It's all about him living his life through me. And there ain't nothing better than that, see? That's his heart. 
And so, so he, you know, he, he could say that. Now, the reality of it is, is that we all have something we're living for. To live is what? We all have something we live for. We all have a master passion in life. To some, it's, you know, to live is make money, right? To live is to make more money, to have more possessions. To others, to live is to have power, to be in control, you know, to be able to tell people what to do. To live is power, you know? Or to others, to live is having a good name for myself. You know, make a name for myself. Have, have, be popular. Be famous. To others, to live is to have the, as many relationships, sexual relationships, or just relationships in general as possible. And you know, you think of somebody like Hugh Hefner. <laughs> to live is sex to the nth degree. But let me just tell you, it doesn't matter whatever, however you would fill that blank. To, and what is it? Just to be honest between you and the, you don't have to shout it out loud, please don't. Uh, <laughs> But between you and the Holy Spirit, how would you fill that blank? To, to, to me, to live is what? What are you living for? What floats your boat? What's it all about for you? You know, what's your master passion? But let me tell you that if it's anything other than Christ, then to, to live might be that for you, but to die will be loss, absolute loss. If it's money or possessions, you can't take it with you. If it's power, it's all gone when you die. If it's sex, ain't going to be doing that anymore. It's all gone. You lose it all. One moment into eternity. Except if it's Christ, right? To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul knew that, hey, I'm living for Jesus now, and then I'm going to receive the crown of righteousness that is going to be given to me, not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. I, I'm going to receive my reward, and that's going to be a great gain. And all of this loss and all of this suffering is going to be meaningless compared to the reward at the end of the race. To me, to live is Christ. It's a life filled with Christ. It's a life filled with joy. It's, he's here in prison, but he's making everybody else joyful because he's filled with the joy of the Spirit, even in the midst of dismal circumstances. It's a great life, but then I go into heaven, and then it all just begins. The best is yet to come. Amen? <laughs> You've heard the story about the guy that, you know, was buried with a fork. You ever hear about this guy? They put a fork in the coffin with him. And the reason is because he loved the church potlucks. <laughs> and at the end, uh, you know, at the end of, of having the, the, the main entree, they, they would always come on and say, okay, everybody, keep your forks because the best is yet to come. 
So <laughs> he's ready, man. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Bring on the dessert, you know. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> now, Paul had a dilemma. And he said, look, I know that if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what, what can I choose? What shall I choose? I cannot tell. Because I'm hard-pressed. I don't know. I, I have a desire to, debar, to depart and be with Jesus. I mean, yeah. That's going to be the ultimate adventure. Looking forward to it. You know, it's interesting how God sort of prepares you for that, too. You know, uh, how Pastor Chuck used to talk about, you know, if, if you read in the newspaper one day that Pastor Chuck has died, he's, he said, don't believe it. He said, I, I've just moved out of this old dilapidated tent into a mansion that's been made by my Lord forever and ever. And it's sort of interesting if you think about, well, he's in that mansion today, isn't he? You know, and, uh, and I mean, we could get technical about the resurrection body and all that, but, but the, the reality of it is he's with, he's with Jesus. And so, Paul had that sense. Man, it, it'd be great. You know, but as you get older, you realize it's like, well, like the softball game, the, you know, like July 4th. I mean, I was, yeah, I'll go play softball. I can do it, man. You know, come on, man. Listen. So I did. My arm has been sore since <laughs> July 4th. And the worst part is in the morning when I go to pump the coffee pot, I, ow! It's like, so what happens is you realize as you get older, you know, you think, I can do that, yeah. But the body says, what are you doing? Are you crazy? <laughs> softball, you know how long it's been since you played softball? You know? And your body sort of just freaks out, right? But you realize that this tent is wearing out. And God sort of pre prepares you for that, doesn't he? He starts making you long for the, the better body that's coming. It's got a lot more hair. Uh, <laughs> so he goes, I don't know what's best. Now, he said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith. It's better that I'm here with you. And if I'm here for you, then it will be that I can continue to labor among you for your progress, for your joy, for your edification, your encouragement, that Christ might be formed in you, that you might be brought to maturity. You know, and, and as the more he started thinking about that, he was just like, yeah, you know what? I know that's what's going to happen. It's not time for me yet. You know, he's... <laughs> I might be tired, but I'm not retired yet. <laughs> There's still more for me to do. And so, uh, and he was right in that, actually. Scholars tell us that after two years in house arrest in Rome, um, that he was released. They didn't really have enough of a case against him. And, uh, 
And so he was released for probably two years, and, and he probably did make it to the Church of Philippi during that time. Um, but when, he, when Caesar Nero, through whatever circumstances, nobody still knows even to this day how Rome burned, um, but one thing we do know is that Caesar Nero tried to pin the blame on the Christians. And, uh, and so they sort of rounded up all of the, the Christians. And, and Paul was obviously a ringleader for Christians. And, and it's thought at that time, probably around 60, 64 AD, after the, that Rome fire in Rome, uh, he was then imprisoned, but this time he wasn't under house arrest. It was what was called the Mamertine prison, which could have been called the house of darkness because it was so dim and damp and dirty in the lower chamber, which is, it, it is thought that that's where Paul was uh, up until, you know, like when he wrote Second Timothy, you know, that was his last letter, and he knew that his time was at hand, and, uh, and of course, he would be beheaded by Caesar Nero, um, at some point after that. But it seems that he was right in his expectation of just being able to visit the Philippians again and get out of that house arrest, um, even though we don't really have that in Scripture. But the early church fathers uh, talk about that. So, But in the end, he said... Uh, say where did I, I lost my place oh <laughs> that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in jesus christ by my coming to you again so you know that it's like you guys have been dear to me you've prayed for me you've rejoiced in me you've sent me support and i just believe god's going to give me an opportunity to be with you again and, and god did so What are you living for? What are we living for? You know, the one thing that Paul said that he labored for, he said, I, I labor for you until Christ is born in you. And that's what it's all about. It's about us being in such close contact and union with Jesus that it's no longer us living, as Paul would say. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What are you living for? What's your life? What's the essence of your life? Let me just say that if the essence of your life is to know Jesus, to live for him, you're going to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You're going to have your name written in heaven. You have a cause to rejoice no matter what. No matter what circumstances you're going through, you have a cause to rejoice. Why? Because you know that God loves you and that he's going to work everything together for good in your life if you just hang in there and trust him and continue to do it his way. And if not, then there's going to be consequences. Why? Because he loves you just to too much to let you go your own way and go to hell, <laughs> right? So he will bring consequences just like he did with David, 
It was awful consequences. But it just showed how much David loved God and how much God loved David in the end. So, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence. And God, we just thank you for calling us, Lord, for revealing Jesus to us, Lord. You, you didn't have to do that. We could have been those people that never respond to the grace of God. And I thank you, Lord, for each person here who has called upon your name, who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here today, Lord, that has not yet uh, opened that door to you, Jesus, and invited you into their heart and life, I pray, Lord, that they would do that, that they would know by simply saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. Live with me. And write my name in heaven. That they might know for sure that they have been saved. And Lord, I pray for those of us who know you, Lord, just that you would be our master passion, Jesus. That if there's any lie of the enemy that we have bought into that is pulling us away from trusting in you and, and finding our life in you, Lord, if there's any lie, any temptation, any carrot out there that's dangling on the stick that we think is going to satisfy us other than you, Jesus, I pray you'd show us the lie that that is. And you bring us to the foot of the cross. You bring us to conviction of sin, to confession of sin, to repentance, and to re a renewed fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, fill us with your presence afresh that we might bring forth good fruit, that we might be, Lord, your ambassadors, love and light in this world, and uh, Lord, that in the end, we will know that we have the best yet to come. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.